0: Welcome back to Bible time, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12. Now um, we kind of got mixed up in our order, so um, we've already studied verse eleven previously. We studied verse 10 yesterday. Ye are witnesses and God also how holily and justly and unblamably we have we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And we looked at how the apostles set forth their behavior as an example to the church and of the and of how to try an apostle that says they're an apostle and are not an apostle, you can tell by their behavior. You don't just believe somebody that walks up and says, hey, I'm an apostle. You've got reason and through the scripture. You can try them. Like the Bible says, Jesus Christ commended one of the early churches um, in his letters in Revelation for trying them that say they are apostles and are not. Um, so there we looked at um, this idea of holily, justly and unblameably we looked at the fact that um, they were their ministry was visible it was a ministry that was among the people that the people were able to live around the apostles and see how they lived how they talked how they walked And they were not just required to believe what these guys said when they showed up at the synagogue, three Sabbath days reasoning from scripture, but they were able to see them on a day-to-day basis. And this is one of the benefits, by the way, we didn't touch on this yesterday, all this by way of quick review, but we didn't touch on this yesterday. When Jesus sent out the apostles and told them to go out two by two, he told them to stay Um, in whatever house to inquire who in the city was worthy and to there abide until they departed thence. And if their peace, if they had peace there at the house to say, to, to bless the house, that their peace should rest upon it. And if they did not have peace, if they were not received Um, at the house to shake off the dust of their feet. And he said, it'd be more tolerable for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah at the day of judgment than for that city. What is the purpose for Christ's command? Why did he tell them to take neither purse nor script? Now later, after they came back, he told them in another time, take purse and script. He told them, you didn't have a sword before, take a sword before. So there's times and there's seasons and there's places and there's events. There's different ways to take the gospel. David Livingston had a rifle and he took it with him into the bush in africa and he saved a native village from the attacks of a lion the lion actually lunged at him they went out to hunt it and he fired a shot and the bullet went through the lion's heart and the lion landed on david livingston smashed him down to the ground a big old heavy lion i don't know how much a lion weighs something like 300 pounds or something right big heavy ferocious lion and it died in midair and landed on david livingston nearly crippled him he was wounded and it took him a long time to recover but the natives in that particular area of africa had a deep respect for any warrior that would kill a lion and god used that because david livingston achieved such a high status with those natives that he had their ear and he had their hearts from that day on, because he had killed the man eating lion, and he was, in their estimation, a great warrior. There's a time to have a sword. And there's a time to not have a sword. There's a time to go and stay in another person's house. And there's a time to have a bus and to drive the bus around and stay on the bus. There's a time to stay in a hotel. There's all kinds of different modes. But the basic idea that Jesus gave in those commands was to put the people in constant contact with the people they were ministering to. And we talked yesterday about how the fact that um, apostolic behavior was a behavior that brought them into close proximity and contact with their people they were visible they were transparent they weren't living in these resorts and flying their fancy um se- um fancy Jets everywhere that they wanted to go, they weren't driving around in the back of a limousine, sheltered and protected from the people. They were in and amongst the people that they ministered to. And that's along the lines, by the way, that Hudson Taylor took with China Inland Mission. And it's along the lines that Adoniram Judson took whenever he started the mission to Burma. And many other, uh, most other, if not all, highly successful, God-honored, God-blessed missions have had a similar trait that they have been in and amongst the people often eating what the people eat living in similar circumstances to the what the people live in often dressing similarly as as far as is possible with as far as modesty is concerned as the people that they minister to but there's times and places again for everything um everybody wants to try and make um the single the one way to do missions and god has given us many ways but the general idea is that their life was transparent and that the people could see the, the that these apostles, were not just men of God in the pulpit they were men of God out of the pulpit so they could see their walk and this is all going to tie in directly to our text today verse 12 that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory let's read that verse again verse Thessalonians two twelve: that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory let's pray father in Jesus name help us to walk worthy today Help us, Lord, to understand your word. Help us to meditate on it. Open our hearts and our minds. We pray that we here in this room, Lord, would be blessed today with your presence. And, Lord, with your strength and a resolve to walk worthy, Lord, and to um, walk worthy because you've called us unto your kingdom and your glory. We worship you today, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the apostles' walk was a public walk. They were witnesses. The people were witnesses of the apostles' walk, and God also was a witness. So they called God to record, to say, and to emphasize that their walk, when nobody could see them, was also pure and also holy. And they said, "How holily and justly and unblamably." We're not going to get into all that. We already studied it, but we want to remember that holily has to do primarily with their walk before God. Though the evidence of a holy life will be seen by mankind the holiness would be before God and that justly is before God and before man that justly has to do with keeping God's laws and keeping man's laws as far as they do not interfere with our obedience to God's laws so when he says that they walked justly it means that they gave no offense in anything as far as they could that the ministry be not blamed or actually that goes on to unblameable Unblameable is before man and is visible to God justly is before God and before man, doing everything um, legally, uprightly, as far as possible, and then unblamably goes the extra mile, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. And so this is what we studied yesterday, and it ties directly into walking worthy today. Here the um, in verse 12, the apostles are commanding the church to walk worthy. In fact, they're exhorting and comforting and charging in verse 11. The exhortation means encouraging strongly. The comforting means telling them, um, you can do it. You are capable of walking this walk. And the charging is to give the command and say, you must walk this walk, and this is done as a father doth his children. So this is from a position of filial affection, of family affection that this charge and this exhortation and this comfort is given. So here the apostle Paul is saying that as a father would come along to his children and say, come along, it's time to go. This is the direction to go. Tuck your shirt in, comb your hair down, um, clean your face up, Get yourself ready to go and then take you the direction that you're supposed to go. Don't turn right. Stay on the path. Don't turn left. Stay on the path. Don't go too slow. We won't get there in time. Don't run ahead. You need to stay orderly. You need to stay in the right place at the right time. Come, hold my hand. Walk beside me. You can do it. Did you get hurt? You'll be all right. Just walk it off. It'll be okay. Get walking. Don't stop. Get in the race. Don't give up. Don't fail. You must walk. You have no choice. Walk right now. As a father would exhort and comfort and charge his child, so he says, we have charged you that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you and unto his kingdom and glory. So we have two parts here of this text. First, that you would walk worthy of God. And secondly, the motivation for the walk. We have the walk and the motivation for the walk. First, that you would walk worthy of God. And, and secondly, the motivation for that walk, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory." so as we examine the walk here today we'll consider that this walk is going to be a common theme throughout 1st Thessalonians look at 1st Thessalonians 4 1 furthermore then we beseech you brethren and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so ye would abound more and more this is not just a common theme in Thessalonians it's a common theme throughout all the scriptures so he says here that as we have as ye have have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. And this is followed by practical commandments that we'll study out, Lord willing, in more detail when we get there. He says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. A worthy walk, then, is an obedient walk. A worthy walk of God obeys the commands of God. He says in verse 3, "For this is the of chapter 4, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should observe. Stain from fornication. Sanctification means to be set apart. Now, whenever you find somebody, Pastor Reg uses this analogy quite often. When you find someone that you believe God is in, intending you to marry, and you engage to marry that person, and you are considered engaged, how many of you think it's appropriate for you to leave the side of the one that you are engaged to and go and spend the whole afternoon courting another person? Does that sound appropriate? absolutely not you are separated unto that person and then the wedding that's even during engagement and betrothal and at the point of the wedding whenever you come to the marriage altar you say forsaking all others that you will cleave only to the spouse that God has given you and when you're married do you think it's appropriate to go and act married with somebody else No, it's not. And that's why he uses this example of fornication to contrast sanctification. Sanctification means forsaking all others to cleave only unto the Lord. So a worthy walk is an obedient walk, and a worthy walk is a faithful walk. A worthy walk is a walk that keeps the commandments, a walk that is sanctified and separate from sin. He says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond to defraud his brother in any manner, matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified, for God have not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So this is the walk that we're called to, and there's more details there that we're not going to study right now. We're going to plow ahead and look at some other aspects of our walk. Look at verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing, he says there in verse eleven that ye be that ye study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing, so there's a walk of obedience and sanctification towards God that we're called to that ye would walk worthy of God. You've been exhorted, you've been comforted, you've been charged as a father would exhort and comfort and charge his children to walk worthy of God. And this worthy walk of God would not only be a walk of obedience toward God and sanctification towards God, but of honesty toward them that are without. What are the two great commandments that God has given? First, that you should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, that ye should love your neighbor as yourself. And if you are going to walk worthy of God, your walk is not confined to the prayer closet, nor is it confined to the workplace or the marketplace. Your walk must be circumspect. We're told in the Bible to walk circumspectly. What does that mean? Pay attention. Get your minds engaged here. We're moving along. I don't want to waste your time, but if I move quick, you've got to keep your mind engaged or you'll get left behind and this will all just be a bunch of mumbling to you. I'm trying hard not to mumble. I have a bad habit of it, but it'll all just be a train, mental train wreck in your mind and you'll get nothing out of it unless you engage your mind and think about what we're saying today. Circumspectly, circle inspection are the basic ideas of the words that make up the word circumspectly. It means to walk around and inspect something from all the angles. Whenever I was a young man, we had an opportunity, my dad and I, to use some heavy equipment. Dad had been a heavy equipment Equipment operator for the air force and then after that he'd done it in the private workforce and he had been an instructor in the air force and as an instructor he told me that every day whenever a soldier or an airman goes to get on their heavy equipment the first thing that they do is a safety check they walk around the whole, the piece of equipment and they look at it a lot of things the government does are over-the-top, extra, and useless, and I'm sure all the paperwork involved in that safety check was, but they had to walk around that piece of equipment and look at it, and he encouraged me to do that, even though I wasn't going to file all my reports and all my paperwork that proved that I did it, which would be all the extraneous stuff, and he taught me to walk around and look and, and ask the question, if I back up, am I going to hit something? If I turn this boom, is it going to hit something? Is there something I can't see around here? Is there a way somebody can get hurt or something can get destroyed? Is there something wrong with the equipment that I didn't notice yesterday? Uh, Is the equipment greased? Is it oiled? Is it service? Check the oil. Check the transmission fluid. If it's time to check it, do the basic maintenance. Lubricate the joints. Walk circumspectly. Check the whole thing out and then go to work. And God is calling us to a work walk he's calling us to walk worthy and we must walk circumspectly you know a lot of people will get the idea it's time to do christian work and so they'll get a bulldozer mentality and they'll grab their bible and a box of tracks and they'll run out on the street and they'll start bulldozing people over with the gospel and they're not walking circumspectly they're not walking worthy because they're not checking all the angles and all the directions. We're commanded by God to keep his commandments. We're to walk worthy towards God. But here in verse twelve we're told to walk honestly toward them that are without, that we may have that ye may have lack of nothing. And he says, Um study to be quiet, do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. He's saying shut your mouth, mind your business, and do your job. Isn't that amazing that a worthy walk of God could involve shutting your mouth, minding your business, and doing your own job? Now, what is your job here? If your job is heavy equipment, then do your job and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the hope that lieth within you with meekness and with fear... If your job is to be a pastor, then do your job, and that might mean working with your own hands, and it might also mean study. It might mean you've got to go out and hoe your own garden and and bring in the fruits of your labors. You might have your own physical labor to do in order to help support your family because there's not enough support through the ministry to support you, and that's perfectly fine. But it also may mean if the work of the ministry is so big that you are working working and laboring in your ministry. You know, it's, it's worthy to note that this was given from the apostles to the people who that they'd spoken to. And there's other verses in scripture. We've looked at it before that talk about the labor of the ministry and how that all applies. So I don't want to get into that right now. But what this is saying is that every aspect of your life is subject to this commandment. Whether you are at work or whether you are at play, whether you are at the market or whether you are at the hospital, wherever you are at, whatever you are doing, you are to walk worthy, to walk worthy towards God, keeping his commandments and to walk honestly toward them that are without giving no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully Titus 3:14 go there quickly <clears throat> Titus 3:14 He says here, bring Zenos the lawyer in verse 13 and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. So the lawyer, whether he was a lawyer in secular law or whether he was a lawyer in... um, as a Jew that had been saved. That doesn't sound like a Jewish name to me. In any case, this man had a clerical type job and Apollos was a preacher. He says, he's known as a preacher there. If you read Corinthians, bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. So here he's telling them to stay busy Doing good things. You know, Jesus went about doing good, the Bible says. Take advantage of opportunities that come up in your life to do good. You you might say, well... I think we need to go down to the nursing home and try and share the gospel with some people there but I'm not really sure that that's the best thing to do right now I need to go pray and ask God and uh, well I didn't hear from God today that I should go down there I didn't hear for today that I tomorrow that I should go down there and you just never do anything because God didn't explicitly tell you well God did tell you he told you right here in Titus and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses they be not unfruitful he's saying take advantage of opportunities that come into your path to do good and to do right and so this is part of the walking worthy that he's talking about go to james James chapter 1 walking worthy is walking towards God obeying God obeying his commandments loving God with all your heart mind soul and strength but it's also loving your neighbor as yourself you shouldn't have to be told to share the gospel with your neighbor you shouldn't have to be told uh, to be fruitful in good works in fact God said I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should bring forth fruit Now, we could get in off on this. If you are not loving God primarily, if you're not walking in the Spirit, you're not going to have any fruit anyway, but we'll get possibly more on that later. Um, as we study this james 1 pure religion and undefiled before god and the father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world you say well, i'm not sure what the will of god is for my life today i'm not sure if i should go to africa i'm not sure if i should go to australia i'm not sure where i should go today be careful to maintain good works to necessary uses then visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction keep yourself unspotted from the world there's a walking worthy that God is calling you to today do you hear me do you hear me there's a walking worthy today that God is calling you to do We're, we're exhorted we're comforted we're charged to walk worthy Maintain good works to necessary uses. Walk honestly toward them that are without. Walk in a manner that pleases God. James 2.17 Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. 1 Peter 2 You say you have faith in God. Walk. Prove it. Walk it. Live it. Be what you claim to be. Um, 2.12 in First Peter, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Did you hear what he just said? He said, Your good works which they shall behold. What good is your ministry if nobody ever sees it? If nobody is ever touched by it, what good is your ministry? What good is your life? God calls you to walk worthy. And there's an aspect of that where you study to be quiet and do your own business and labor with your hands. And there's an aspect of that ministry that God has called you to where you need to get out and visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Um, go to 1 John 2 6 this is where we're commanded to walk as Christ it says he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked so Jesus had um, a full time ministry by the way Jesus during his ministry had a full-time ministry. Somehow he provided for his widowed mother while he was in his full-time ministry, but according to the record of scripture, he did not work a paying job during that time. Isn't that interesting? That verse that says, "If any man provide not for his own, even especially they of his own house, he is worse than an infidel." Jesus Christ um, fulfilled providing for his own, even in a full time ministry capacity. I hear some people talk about Peter, whose um, mother in law was sick, so he had a wife and, um, to some degree, must have had possibly had children. That history says that he does did the Bible doesn't. But history says that he had children. And so people will use Peter and they'll say, uh, well, he left his family to follow Jesus. Well, yes, he did, but he provided for them. Providing for your family doesn't necessarily mean you work a paying job. It means you provide their needs. It means that they have what they need. And God gets to define what those needs are, by the way. He said, having food and raiment therewith be content. I know that doesn't fly in America, but that is what God said. Even though Americans don't believe that verse, but that's what God said, and it's hard to deal with that. What's you think about not having a house, that'd be hard. That would be hard, but the Bible says the Son of Man hath not whereof to lay his head. Jesus Christ himself had no home, nowhere to lay his head. Um, John 1 6 says if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin go to Galatians quickly so this walk there's a walk in the darkness that's described there and it's contrasted with a walk in the light and if you walk in the light you have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us it says from all sin so there's a contrast of those walks and we're called and commanded to walk worthy so if you're walking worthy will you be out of sorts with your brethren at church will you be all crossed up with the people at the church house can you sit at home and say i love the lord but i don't need church and be walking in light no that's the biggest dumbest mess of a lie out of hell it's, it's absolute stupidity, it's hypocrisy, you're walking in darkness, you know not at what you stumble. If we walk in the light, he says, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin now we go on to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 this I say then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh so this is how to walk this is how you should walk walk in the spirit how am i going to walk worthy walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to another so that ye cannot do the things that ye would but if ye be led of the spirit ye are not under the law so this walking in the spirit is the means by which we walk worthy now i used to think that walking in the spirit was a work look over here at verse twenty-five. Of Galatians 5. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You can turn to Romans 8. Well, we're um, speaking of that there. I used to kind of think that walking in the Spirit meant, uh, was a work that I would do. That you see, you've got the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. Gentleness is in there somewhere. Goodness. You've got the fruit of the Spirit. And so you're supposed to walk in the Spirit. And that means that you're supposed to, you, you, are supposed to produce the fruit of the spirit which means that you're walking in the spirit that was how I thought and that's how most people think about it as far as my experience is concerned um, both in in what I've read and heard and seen in church throughout my entire life that is the general consensus that to walk in the spirit means I need to memorize certain verses do certain things and make it happen in my strength and that proves that I am walking in the spirit Uh, the general Idea is that to walk in the spirit means that I conjure up the ability to do what God said to do and manage to um, walk in that spirit. It'd be kind of like if your kid wants to go to the store with you and you're leaving in the car, and you say, Walk with daddy to the store, or go with daddy to the store. And the kid goes out and stands beside the vehicle and And you start the engine and take off for the store. And the kid is running next to the car, panting and sweating, trying to go with dad to the store. That's how I lived all those years trying to walk in the Spirit. But all God's asking you to do, we'll find, we'll see it here and we'll we'll find out what it is and we'll remind me. We'll go back to that analogy. Romans 8, 4, it says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God so that boy running along behind the car is like the Christian who says I'm supposed to walk worthy and then he sets out to run as fast as he can by the car while it goes down the street He's running in the flesh. Now his attempt is to please God, but he is carnally minded in his attempt to please God. He is trying to do what God told him to do, and therefore he, the carnal man, is the one doing which means he is carnally minded. You can be carnally minded and go to church. You can be carnally minded and preach a message. You can be carnally minded and cast out devils, or try to anyway, because there'll be many that say, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils in thy name? And he'll say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. You can read your Bible carnally minded and in your flesh. Every Christian exercise that you do, you can do in your flesh. Imagine that little boy running beside the car. And the car is getting further and further away and the car is not getting tired. But he is, and he's getting side stitches, pain in his side, and he's pushing on his rib cage and trying to pressurize air into his lungs to take away the pain, and he's gasping for air, and he's saying, Father, you said go with, you said I could go with you, and I'm trying, I'm trying so hard, and I'm out of strength, you're going too fast. Help Father, help Father, all the while never realizing that he's not in the Spirit at all he's in the flesh. He's walking in the flesh. And pretty soon he falls down in the ditch and lays there in all the trash in the ditch, weeping and howling and crying and kicking his feet because God didn't take him along like God said he would. And then he's blaming God for the fact that he's not walking worthy. And now he's got excuse to sin because he's laying in the ditch anyway and so then begins a sin cycle and all kinds of things that accompany it. What God is calling you to do is get in the vehicle. All your part is, listen to me today, your part is to get in the vehicle and to stay in the vehicle of walking in the spirit. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about a total reliance on God. God says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so we say, yes, sir, God. So I'm not going to fulfill the lusts the flesh so that I walk in the spirit and God says no walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh and you say yes God I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh that way I can walk in the spirit do you copy are you following this and God says, "No, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, and you say, Yes, God, I get it i 'm not going to commit adultery i'm not going to swear falsely, i'm not going to steal i'm not going to kill i'm going to keep your commandments i 'm going to love others better than myself that way i 'm walking in the spirit and God says, No, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill." the lusts of the flesh. Not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh is not walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit results in not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. That little boy running beside his daddy's car has the lusts of the flesh. He's got sweat pouring out of his flesh. He's got pain in his flesh. He's trying with all of his strength to run beside that car in his flesh. He's running. He's panting. He's breathing hard. It's flesh. It's all flesh. But the moment that little boy does what God tells him to do and he opens the door and he gets in the car and he sits down in the seat he is now going the direction God wants him to go doing what God wants him to do not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh by the power of God this is what this is saying here this is absolutely critical to getting the rest of this verse Understanding our text. We've got to understand that the walk that we're called to walk and to walk worthy of, the way that we walk worthy is by getting in the car by faith. Getting in the Spirit by faith. Believing God that He has the power and He wants you in the vehicle. And the Holy Spirit's more than a vehicle, He's a He he wants you in the spirit you say well i got the spirit when i got saved yeah but did the spirit get you you say you're splitting hairs well you, you evidently are living on some hairs that need split it's the same thing we were just talking about i'm gonna not sin so that i'm walking in the spirit when god says no walk in the spirit and you won't sin it's the same thing, but you—you, you, you, you see—the problem with you is that you're content with your own righteousness. You think that your flesh can please God. What did the Bible say right here in Romans eight? So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God and then he goes on and says but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you so there's your position in Christ now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of his and you say yeah that's positional that proves it keep reading and if Christ be in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness so there's the position dead because of sin spirit life because of righteousness verse 11 but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you one he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies number two by his spirit that dwelleth in you therefore brethren we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh for if ye live after the flesh ye shall die he's talking to brethren if ye live after the flesh ye shall die but if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body ye shall. Do you hear that today? There's the dwell in you part. There's the positional part that's absolutely true. And without the positional part, you have no access to the practical part. But if you are positionally in Christ, then you have the opportunity by his spirit for, for him to quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That quickening power and function of the Holy Spirit of God is what excuse me is what you must have to walk worthy that's how you walk worthy that's the only way to walk worthy and we'll we'll notice a couple other things about this in Romans 8 as we wrap this up later <coughs> let's look at the motivation to walk worthy the motivation is that he called you he says in Song of Solomon arise my love my fair one and come away rise up my love my fair one in another place there in song of solomon chapter 2 verse 13 and come away rise up my love my fair one and come away god has called you the first motivation to walking worthy is that god has called you go to matthew 25 now you can't walk worthy if he doesn't that's clear it says um, in the bible no man can come unto me except god which is the father draw draw him But then we find also that he is calling you through his gospel and that the call of God is the gospel. And we've preached on that. Look up the message on the call of God. If you think the call of God is some kind of extra um, biblical voice that you're going to hear telling you stuff, you missed it. It's the gospel. You are called by his gospel. That's what the Bible says. Look it up. Go find the other message on it. Matthew 25 um, 6 now this call is not necessarily a vocational call primarily that we're talking about here or a call to salvation even this is a call to walk worthy and we might think the call to here get this get this so when we start talking about am I called of God Well, am I called to be a preacher? Am I called to be a missionary? Am I called to be an evangelist? Am I called to be this, that, or the other? Am I called to be a teacher? Am I called to um, be a pastor's wife? I hear is one that I hear of every now and then popping up now. I'm called to be a pastor's wife. Well, honey, I wouldn't limit the field. You're called to be the wife of the man God gives you. And if he's a pastor, you're called to be a pastor's wife. What happens if he disqualifies himself? That's an unbiblical call. I'm sorry. It's an unbiblical call. I know that's going to ruffle some feathers out there. It's an unbiblical call. I I do not believe that for a minute. Um, But, you know, if God does that for you, then good for you. I'm not a woman, so I'm not called to be anybody's wife. But the fact of the matter is, if God calls you to marry somebody, that's who you're called to marry. And if he's a pastor, he's a pastor. But what if he gets disqualified? Now, you can't fulfill your calling. I don't believe in this calling stuff where your calling is dependent on other people in that way god calls you to do things that you can do with his power uh anyway moving on you can disagree with me on that if you want um so here the call we think of the call of god first primarily as a vocation and we're always looking for a vocation is it a missionary that god's calling me to be is it is god calling me to be a husband is god calling me to be a mommy um whatever it is God's calling you to be, the first thing God's calling you to do is to walk worthy. Do you hear me? God is calling you to walk worthy. You are called. Paul said to the Corinthian church, to the saints, called to be saints, to the church at Corinth, called to to be saints you have a call to walk worthy you have a call to be a saint you have a call to love god because he loves you god loves you god chose you and god wants you in his presence that's his call He's called you to his presence. He's called you to love him. He's called you to enjoy him. He's called you to worship him in the beauties of holiness. He's called you to sanctification. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We're going to look at a call here in Matthew 25 and verse 6. It says, In midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. This is the parable of the ten virgins, the um, five wise and five foolish. Then shall the kingdom, in verse 1, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Well, the bridegroom. Bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with them to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So this concept here is the concept of a call up to glory, a call to the kingdom, a call to the marriage feast. And there's a call coming to that too. There's a call coming to the marriage supper of the Lamb, whenever the dead in Christ shall rise first and afterwards they that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. And that's coming up right here in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to get into that by the time we're done with studying this book. But here's this call that goes out, this cry of God calling you into his presence, God calling you into close communion. And that cry and that call is in a daily way, in a daily measure applied to every Christian alive, that God is calling you to come away, calling you to be separate, calling you to walk worthy, calling you to lovership, calling you to fellowship, calling you to spend time with him and to worship him and to love him and to adore him. And this call that God has called you to is our first and primary motivation to walk worthy. To walk worthy. Matthew 28, um, chapter 28 and verse 9. Here, Jesus has just risen from the dead. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now, do you think if Jesus had said, Go into Samaria, they would have done it? What do you think? Yes. yes. He sent a message. Now, here he said, Go and tell. But what was it that they told? He, they told a call. A call to come and there they would see him, right? And he said, Come into Galilee. And the, listen, it doesn't matter where God calls you to go. Anywhere with Jesus, I will safely go. Anywhere without him is misery and night and darkness but anywhere that jesus calls us is a place to go with joy and he he only calls us because he loves us we're entreated here we're beseeched we're exhorted we're charged we're comforted to walk worthy because he has called us imagine a woman on her marriage day she's waiting for her bridegroom and he calls and says the marriage is ready come and marry me Do you think it matters how she has been behaving leading up to that? What if he calls her and she has just been flirting with the boy next door? Will she have a clear countenance when he calls her? Will she be able to have joy when he calls her? When her bridegroom calls her? She will not. She'll be ashamed at his coming, won't she? She'll blush and turn red. Oh, no, I've got to stand up in front of everybody and say I love you to a man that I've been unfaithful to. This is motivation to walk worthy. There's two parts of the call here that we're called unto his kingdom and we're called unto his glory. We're going to go over these um, as quickly as um, we can through the scripture and we'll be done. So the first part of this call unto his kingdom, Matthew 26, 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. This is the last supper. Verse 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you that I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The first call, the first thing that we're called to here in our reason to walk worthy, first we're called by Him, and that's reason enough. But He didn't call us to Galilee. He called us to His kingdom. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go if he calls me to Burma if he calls me to Siam if he calls me to Madagascar or Somalia if he calls and some of you that know your history and know your geography know that some of those places are some of the most horrible and uh, deadly places on earth to go especially that last one with the gospel of Jesus Christ if he calls me to Canada Canada if he calls me to Alaska if he calls me to Japan if he calls me <clears throat> to live in the little town in Norwood, Missouri if he calls me to work a vocational job and be a witness in my workplace, if he calls me to sit in a pew and back up a pastor, if he calls me just to be, um, um, just a faithful man, whatever he calls me, wherever, wherever I go with Jesus will be good. But Jesus didn't just call me. Listen to me. Jesus didn't call me to just go to a nursing home. You think about when you're old and there's nobody left to take care of you, you may end up in a nursing home. And that's something that many elderly people dread for decent reason sit there lonely and half taken care of many times shamefully and it's a sorrowful place it's a place many people just go to die alone and forgotten and lonely and but if God takes you to a nursing home in your old age you can go with God to the nursing home and you can be a light in the nursing home even if you're alone in this world but God hasn't called us to these things do you hear me today he has called us he may call us temporarily to these things get we listen uh, what we're trying to do here the goal you say well what are you driving at this is what we're driving at this is where we're trying to get we have this thing in our heads where we have our temporal earthly calling as the focal point and it's not supposed to be The temporal, earthly callings are exactly that. They're temporal and they're earthly. But our text here that we've been studying in 1 Thessalonians 2, 12 says that he's called us unto his kingdom. And here Jesus Christ said, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I want you to take (coughs) take into account today the surety of the father's kingdom there is a kingdom coming and we are called to the kingdom And we're called to walk worthy because of the kingdom that is coming. And Jesus took a vow. Do you hear me today? Jesus took a vow to not drink of the fruit of the vine until he drinks it afresh anew with you in my father's kingdom. When I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom, it's coming. Did you know that Jesus is fasting today? as he makes intercession for us, he is in a fast from the fruit of the vine and from bread. When he came back and ate there, when he showed himself to the disciples, he ate broiled fish and honeycomb because he had said, I will not eat of this bread. I will not drink of this cup till I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. And the kingdom had not come yet. All these kingdom now people, Jesus proved it's not now because he didn't eat and drink yet. Come on guys. This is so basic. You have, you've gotten lost in your stupid theology. Get back to the Bible. Kingdom now. This is such a joke. The kingdom is coming. And if you don't think the kingdom is coming, you're going you're gonna to blow out. We're called to walk worthy because of the kingdom. He's called us to walk in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, we're going to have places and we're going to have honor with Christ. Go to Matthew twenty-seven eleven. Matthew twenty seven eleven. a kingdom has a king, and Jesus stood before the governor. This is where, well, he was still being persecuted and about to be um, hung on the cross, and the governor asked him, saying, art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, thou sayest it. Jesus did not deny it, but Jesus would not himself profess it because it was obvious that he was the king. And the king doesn't have to justify himself. Look at verse 37 of Matthew 27. Pilate got the message. And set up over his head his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Go to Matthew 25. We're not going to look at much here. Just look at the first verse, for example. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling unto a, into a far country. And he goes on with these kingdom parables. And there's others before it as well um, in the preceding chapter. In chapter 24 speaks much of the kingdom. Chapter 24 verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. If you go to Ezekiel 40 through 48, you guys don't have to study all that out right now. Um, but Ezekiel 40 through 48 is kingdom rules and kingdom revelation from God about the kingdom that is going to come go to Isaiah 32 there is a kingdom coming and we're called to walk worthy because he called us and he where did he call us he didn't call us to Galilee he didn't call us to the gallows he didn't call us to the hangman's noose now there may be a temporal calling to the stake to burn up the stake there may be a temporal calling to be a pastor but ultimately he's calling us to his kingdom. Isaiah 32, one, behold, a king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment. Who do you think those princes are going to be? The kingdom is going to have a king and it's going to have princes. Go to Isaiah 44. And again, if you're a pastor, what happens if you lose your church? You say, well, God called me to be a pastor, but the church that God sent you to said, no way, man, you preach the Bible. You're telling us that we're supposed to follow Jesus and walk worthy, and we don't want any of that stuff. We want a guy to get up here and tell us a bunch of feel-good stuff and motivational speeches, and you ain't the man, but you know you're the man because God called you there, God sent you there, but they say, no, we will not have this man to reign over us, and they kick you out of the church. What are you gonna do? Well, you're called to be a pastor. Does that mean you're worthless? Does that mean you're over? No. Listen, you've got to get your eyes off the temporal. You've got to get your eyes off the earthly. You've got your heart so worked up and raw up in your temporal vocational call that your eyes have come off of the kingdom call. And God has a kingdom call for you that applies no matter what your vocation is doing. Hallelujah. Go to Isaiah 44 there where we're trying to go. 44 verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel... And his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last and beside me there is no God. Right there you have the Lord, that's Jehovah, the King of Israel. Jesus is the King of Israel. It says, and his Redeemer. Whose Redeemer? The Lord's Redeemer. The King of Israel's Redeemer. And who is this Redeemer that belongs to the Lord? His Redeemer is the Lord Jehovah of hosts. What? Now, we're not preaching on the deity of Christ right now, but that's so good we can't hardly not comment. Thus saith the Lord, that's Jehovah, thus saith, you could say, Jehovah, the king of Israel, and his redeemer, the Jehovah of hosts, which is Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah the Lord of hosts so he's saying that the Lord is the king of Israel Jehovah is the king of Israel and Jehovah is the king of Israel's redeemer And then Jehovah the king of Israel who is his own redeemer says I am the first and I am the last and beside me There is no God Hallelujah, so there's the deity of Christ and the fact that God the father and God the son are one In that verse we can get to others and you see the Holy Spirit in others, but that's not our main push here We're looking at the kingdom So here is a kingdom, and the Lord Jehovah is the king of Israel. Jesus Christ is the king of Israel, and there is a kingdom that is coming, and that kingdom is coming in Israel, literally, and this is going to deal with his glory. He says, beside me there is no God. Go to Revelation 19, and we're going to see the king coming to claim his kingdom and his glory. Verse 11, and I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture in dipped in blood and his name is called the word capital w the word of god and that is god almighty through john 1 absolutely unarguably jesus the word made flesh god almighty the lord Lord of hosts, mighty in battle, Jehovah canoe, Jesus Christ, hallelujah, praise God, all these people that say they're Jehovah's witnesses but they don't believe in Jesus are lying because Jehovah is Jesus and Jesus is Jehovah, if you have seen Jesus you have seen Jehovah, that's what Christ himself said, now that they are distinct and separate is also true, which is a mind blower but your mind is your problem and you need to stop stumbling on your mind and believe with your heart the lord jesus and be saved so it says here and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god look at verse 14 and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean i was just reading a little bit about george washington in the valley of forge in the valley forge um, and his soldiers clothing was fault was falling apart threadbare many of them didn't have shoes they were nearly starving to death and there were reinforcements coming from france to assist the army and washington sent yet another appeal for more provisions to the continental congress in america and one of the things that he says was that our officers will be deeply mortified to stand before the well-dressed french army in their rags and they will not get the respect that they deserve and it cannot be expected that they will he said, they will not get the respect that they deserve, and it cannot be expected that they will as they stand before a professional army in nothing but rags. We need our uniforms. Please send us our, um, our rations, our uniforms, our pay. We're starving. We're threadbare. We need help. Listen to me today. We need to walk worthy because we're part of. the kingdom we're called unto his kingdom and we're called unto his glory and I don't want to stand before the king in his glory in the rags of my own my own Christian righteousness do you hear me today I know you can't get saved unless you depart you leave your own righteousness and take on the righteousness of Christ for salvation but do you know what happens when we get saved we go back and we pick up the old rags of our self-righteousness and we dress ourselves back up and we put on the pauldrons of our good deeds and we put on um, the beautiful gold cabling that we used to adorn our fleshly life with with our own efforts to please God and then we try and parade out there as if we're part of God's army and we we must put on the righteousness of God in salvation and we must put it on in sanctification. We're called to walk worthy because the king has called us unto to his kingdom and to his glory um, let's go on and look what it says here it says and out and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean we know from another text there in revelation that that is the righteousness the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints which is an imputed righteousness and that's army issue do you hear me the fine linen is army issue and it comes from jesus christ himself the righteousness of the saints it says and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What did the Bible just say the King was of Israel? The Lord Jehovah, the King of Israel. Here he is, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And his name here is the Word of God. How about that? It's Jesus Christ. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. Listen. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Verse 18, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him which with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image these both were cast alive into the lake of fire into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand chapter 20 verse 2 get this right here and he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent which is the devil and satan and bound him a thousand years right there it is the thousand year reign of jesus christ and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season and i saw thrones and they that and they sat upon them And judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God which had not worshiped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. You'll find the rest of the dead in the same chapter. If somebody tries to confuse you the rest of the dead are going to stand small and great before God in verse 12 and the books will be opened and will be cast into the lake of fire this is not talking about Christians who are not resurrected this is talking about lost people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and dead bodily on the earth the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished this is the first resurrection blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection that's the resurrection of the just it says, on such the second death hath no power. The second resurrection is down there in chapter ten or chapter 20, verse 11 um, and verse 12, where, and it's called the resurrection of the damned. It says, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So there's a king who's called us, and that's the reason you should walk worthy, and you're called unto the king's kingdom kingdom, and that's another reason you should walk worthy, because you're going to be part of a kingdom, not part of this earthly kingdom that passes away, but part of the thousand-year kingdom, and if you go on and read chapter 21, verse 1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven were passed away, and there um, and there was no more sea, and he goes on and describes a new kingdom, and a new city, and a new heaven, and a new earth, because the first earth is burned up, And it says, the city lieth four square. And it talks about this being the eternal city of God. There's no more curse, no more death, no more darkness, no more tears. Um, And there we will rule and reign with Christ for all of eternity. And this here is the glory of God that we're called unto you. You know, God said, I am God alone and my glory will I share with no man. Then he left his eternal glory And he took on the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of sinful man, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that all the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus Christ adopted us as sons, joint ears with Christ. We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, reigning with Christ positionally. Someday we will reign in the literal kingdom of Christ. He says to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Hallelujah. He said, my glory will I share with no man. But then he left his glory and he brought us into himself. To be saved is to be in Christ and Christ to be in you. And you will sit as a saved person in his throne and in his glory. That he said he would share with no man. He's going to make you more than mere man in heaven. All the religions of the world promise that you can make yourself into a god. God. What man tried to get and fell from God's glory and presence in their sin and rebellion against God, trying to get, God has all the while wanted to give freely. And that is to exalt you, to be a joint heir with Christ, to adopt you into his family when you believe by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you will be, as he said, sons of God, little s, sons of God, worshiping Jesus Christ the Son of God, but in Christ and Christ in you. And this is why we're called to walk worthy to his kingdom and his glory. He's called us to his kingdom and to his glory. He'll not share his glory, but he'll call you to his glory and you'll be part of his glory. You say, well, we're created to give glory to God. Yes, but God's going to give glory to us to give to God. It's the only way to give glory to God. And what a glory that is in his kingdom. Walk worthy. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to do so. Amen.